you may or may not realize it, but every interaction that you have is an opportunity to be a witness for Christ and to, to bring him glory in every single interaction that you have. And that's why you and I, as we think about the interactions that we have with other individuals in our life, uh, we need to take it seriously and we need to make sure that the actions that come out of our mouth, that our behaviors, um, that they align with God and God's word and what he expects of us. And so while I, while I, why I, excuse me, enjoy this, uh, the study of this particular passage, uh, this gets down to the nitty gritty. This gets down to the specifics of how we should uh, live our lives uh, as Christians according to God's word, how he expects us and how he commands us to walk uh, in a manner that is, is pleasing to him. Matter of fact, Paul gives us five commands in our passage today regarding our Christian lifestyle that we must have. We, we got to have these uh, when we think about our interactions with other people, whether it be Christians, whether it be non-Christians. Uh, these should show up um, in our life in our interactions. And even within these five that he gives us that we'll talk about here in a second, I want to show you the one that I believe that Paul is, is rooting all five of these in. I, I believe that there's one in particular out of these five that if we focus on that one, if we have that one uh, top of mind, then the others will flow from it. They'll flow from it and it'll be a part of every interaction that we have as long as we keep this top of mind. And so let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 25 through 32, finishing up chapter 4 uh, this week and entering into chapter 5 next week, Lord willing. But in this passage right here, as I alluded to, we do have the five commands. And what's interesting, as I get ready to read through them, you'll see a pattern of these commands that Paul gives us uh, that are to be part of our lifestyle. They're to be part of who we are as Christians. You'll see what we have is the negative for most of these. Paul gives us the, the negative first, and then he gives us a positive, and then he gives us to end it a reason for the positive. And that happens with all of them except for the second one that we'll get to. He actually has it flipped to where he gives us the positive first, then the negative, and then again, the reason for the positive uh, to conclude that one. But this is, this, this should happen in all of our interactions. Again, when I say interactions, this should happen as we are interfacing with other people. Uh, we should think through these things and make sure that these are a part of our life. So let's pick it up in verse 25. Paul says this, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, there's that negative, but rather let him labor. Matter of fact, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Another negative, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The positive, but only such as good for building up. The reason? as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want to point our attention down to the, the, the bottom half of that passage, starting in, in verse 31. And that's where I want to start, because Paul gives us these, these five vices that he starts off with in verse 31. All right, let all bitterness, right, that animosity or anger uh, and wrath, right, that think about rage and anger. Right? Those are sort of the, the dispositions, the mindsets that we can have. And then he says, and clamor, another word for that is shouting. And slander, right? Blasphemia is the Greek word, which means you're disrespecting, right? You're blaspheming. You're slandering. Let all of that be put away from you, along with all malice, evil. And then he gives us these three positives to follow that. Verse 32, he says, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted also can be used as compassionate. Forgiving one another. As Christ forgave you. For you and I, as we study this passage and as we look at all of it together, what we cannot forget is what Christ did for us, for every one of us in this room. If you are a Christian here, then he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. He has shown you kindness. He's shown you compassion. All of that, as Romans tells us, yet while we were still enemies. Right? It wasn't like we were, we were trending towards good. We were enemies of Christ, and he forgave us. He forgave us of all that we have done when we have placed our faith and trust in him. After all that we did against him, he has forgiven us, and that should always be on the forefront of our minds. In every interaction that we have with Believers, if any interaction that we have with unbelievers, we should always have a mindset reminding ourselves that we have been forgiven and Christ forgave us. And we did far worse to him than anyone could ever do to us. And when we have that mindset, that gives us a chance, that, gives us, that puts us in the right position to be able to do anything else that God is asking us to do, that he is requiring us to do because we know that first and foremost, we've been forgiven and we don't deserve it. And so point number one, and the one thing that I think that is rooted in all of this as we work our way back up to the top, point number one, you and I need to remember what Jesus did for you when we deal with other, when, we, when we're dealing with others, excuse me. Remember what Jesus did for you when dealing with others. If we remember that, then we have a better chance of doing all of these things that he talks about in this passage. All right, we have a better chance of being honest and being truthful. We have a, a better chance of, of being angry but not sinning. We have a better chance of not stealing. We have a better chance of not letting corrupting talk come out of our mouth. We have a, a, a better chance of, of doing all of those things if we first remember what Christ did for us when we did not deserve it. Earlier on in our study, I, I, I called you to remember two things. One is I called you to, to, to pray for thanksgiving for your salvation. Remember that? All right, we should be thanking God for our salvation. And what that reminds us is when we thank God daily for our salvation, the fact that he's saved us from what you and I deserve and we had nothing to do with it. The fact that he saves us, that puts our mindset remembering that we don't deserve it, that remembering that it was only by God's grace that he saved us. 
And then the other thing that I asked you to do was to, when we started Ephesians 2, was to remember who we once were, right? Remember who you were. Because oftentimes when you don't remember who you were, you start to think, just like I can do, is, you know what, I'm not that bad of a person. I, I can see why God chose me. Like, I have something to offer. But it requires us to remember we, we were nothing. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We didn't deserve anything but God's wrath. But when we remember who we once were and remember that God saved us, it allows us to then show that same love and kindness and compassion to others. Jot this passage down. We talked about it this past weekend with Dr. Moeller here. But just in case you didn't really grasp it, Titus 3, 3 through 5. And I know he talked about more, but Titus 3, 3 through 5. I just want to read that again because it, 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 that passage in itself reminds us so much of what Paul is talking about here. Forgiving and being kind to one another and being compassionate. He says this in Titus, for we... Ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Again, that, that's us. That, that's who we were. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Again, we need to have that mindset of remembering what Jesus did for us as we interact with anyone. Because it's so easy for you and I to say, oh, how dare that person do that? Why would they think that way? Why would they act that way? Why, why, why would they believe something as, 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 as crazy as that? Because the same reason we would believe that if it weren't for the grace of God. We would believe those same exact things. And so it's important for us to understand who we once were. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were headed towards destruction. But then there came a point in our life where God drew us towards him and he saved us. He saved us. Not because of anything that we were doing that was good or pretty or, or, or appealing to God. But so that he would use us for his, his glory that we would walk in those good works that he had set out beforehand. It's the gospel message right there. We were dead in our trespasses, but only by God's grace were you and I saved. When we remember that, when we keep that top of mind, we can be kind, we can be compassionate to others because Christ did it for us. Did it for us. When someone has wronged you, you should forgive them. Even when the other side, the person that you're having a conflict with, the person that you're having some, some issue with, even if they haven't shown forgiveness, you should forgive them. And I know even as I say that right now, some of you that are dealing with a conflict right now, that are harboring a grudge right now, your first thought, Pastor Kellen, you don't get my situation. No, no, you don't, you don't understand. Mine is different than everyone else's. Mine is different. They don't deserve kindness. They don't deserve compassion because of what they did to me. They don't deserve forgiveness. Let me remind you, Christian, neither do you. Neither do you. You don't deserve anything. But the only reason that you got it is by God's grace and his kindness and his compassion towards you. 
It's hard to forgive. It's hard. Chuck Colson had a quote. He said, there's nothing more Christian than forgiveness. There's nothing more Christian than forgiveness. You see, all the other religions in the world, everybody else in the world, they can hold grudges. They, can, they, they, they don't need to forgive because they're looking at it as like, why would I forgive? There's no, there's no standard for them to say, I need to forgive. Unless they're just a kind person, there's no reason for the rest of the world to forgive. You and I as Christians are called to forgive, do one of the hardest things that there is to do because Christ forgave us. And if we can look at Christ and say, I've done far worse, being honest with ourselves, I've done far worse to Christ to offend him, to put him down, to, 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 do, to disrespect him, but yet he still died for me? You and I need to be able to forgive anyone for anything that they're doing. You're going to feel like you're, you're getting a short end of the stick. Welcome to Christian life. Welcome to the Christian life. You're, you're going to get the short end of the stick. But in James 4.10, God's word tells us, humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. It's not about you trying to get your own exaltation, you trying to get the upper hand, you trying to get, you know, the, the win in this debate or this argument or this conflict. It's about you humbling yourself, saying, Christ forgave me. I need to be willing to forgive. And, and at the right time, I will be exalted. Maybe not in this life, but I will be exalted because I humbled myself before the Lord. You and I, it, it starts with even just praying, praying to have a forgiving and a kind heart. Many of us are so steeped into, uh, I'm saying, let's start there. Let's start to pray for a forgiving heart. Let's start to pray for a compassionate heart. Let's start to pray for a kind heart. All because Jesus did it for us, and we don't deserve any of it. Oftentimes, I have to ask myself in those situations where I don't want to forgive, what if God held grudges the way I held grudges? What if God held grudges against you the way you hold grudges against other people? Wouldn't be a good thing. It'd be exactly what, what the psalmist says in Psalm 133, verses 4. Verses 3 and 4, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There's forgiveness that God shows us. When we have kindness, compassion, forgiveness of Christ in all that we do, the Lord blesses us. And Christ is magnified. Because not only do you realize and you can feel blessed because you've done what God has asked you to do, but then that recipient that's receiving your forgiveness, that's receiving your kindness, they're receiving your compassion, they get a little glimpse of the love of Christ as well. And he can be glorified through us when we do things that he has done, that he has shown us by forgiving, being kind, and being tenderhearted. Verse 25, back in our passage, going to the top, looking at it from a standpoint of, again, we can, when we remember what he's done for us, when we're dealing with other people, 
then that, that's a great start. That's a great start to everything else that we get listed here. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehoods, falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, the context here Paul is talking about, he says to speak truth to your neighbor. So he's saying speak truth to, to other Christians. And the reason you can know that, because right after that, he says, because we are members of one another. And so we can understand that that neighbor, he's saying, speak truth to Christians. However, he doesn't, when we look at the passage, we're not just to speak truth to Christians and lie to everybody else, right? That should be the emphasis of our entire life is that we are truth tellers. We are honest. We are truthful in everything that we do. Put away falsehood. I mean, if you want to paraphrase that, stop telling lies. That's what he's saying. Stop telling lies. And he gets that quote from Zechariah 8.16, which, you know, it's not anything major, but Zechariah 8.16 says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. So he's pulling that from the book of Zechariah. And we need to understand that it's not just to Christians. We should do that to everyone because this is an example of how they learn Christ, as we remember from our last study. But this is an example of who Christ is. He's truthful. He's honest in everything that he says and everything that he does. And you and I need to have that same reputation. And we should write that down for point number two is you should have a reputation of truthfulness. Have a reputation of truthfulness. Part of being kind to other people is telling them the truth, not fabricating things, not, not watering down things and trying to make it so that it's more palatable for them. Because honestly, when you sugarcoat things and when you don't tell people the full truth, then you're really just protecting yourself. You're really just protecting yourself because you don't want them to, to be mad at you or you don't want them to be angry with you. And so you tell them something that's believable and that seems nice and, and fluffy and all rosy so that you ultimately protect yourself. It's a selfish thing to do. But to be kind to somebody is to be truthful to them. God hates lies. Proverbs 12, says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. When we look at being truthful, the opposite of that, when we're not truthful, associates us with Satan. Right? John 8:44, Satan is called the father of lies. And so if we're not being truthful, if we're not following after Christ and saying, I want to be truthful in everything that I do, then the, the only other alternative is you're going towards Satan's lies, being the father of lies. Your life is is, is, is leaning more towards that way than it is of Christ. We need to understand that lies always come to the surface. You know that. Some of you have experienced that, that lies always come to the surface. Proverbs 12, 19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. It's only for a moment. All right, you might feel like you're getting away, but eventually that, that just runs out. And the truth seems to always rise to the occasion, and you have a choice. Do I, am I truthful now, or do I continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this, this sin and this lie? We saw an example of that in, in, in Scripture in, with David. In 2 Samuel 11, of course, when he's with Bathsheba, then he commits this, this sin of adultery, and then what does he do? He, well, he starts to lie about it. 
he calls Uriah the Hittite to come back and to try to get him to, to sleep with his wife so he can say, hey, that was your doing. And of course, Uriah is trying to be a, a soldier prepared for war, and he does not do it. And so the next thing he does, he writes a letter to Joab and says, hey, hey, set it something up to where Uriah gets killed. And Uriah gets killed, of course, and everything comes back, and, and David acts like he's sad because Uriah got killed. And, and really, that was all part of the plan. He kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this lie. Because guess what? The, 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 the lies, they eventually will come to an end. And it always seems to happen that way. And of course, we get in 2 Samuel 12, where the prophet Nathan comes and calls David out. Calls David out for all the lies that he's doing because he was not being truthful. You and I need to have a reputation of being truthful. Whether you're evangelizing to someone, the kind thing to do is to tell them exactly what they're in for if they continue down this path of sin. That's a kind thing to do. That's a loving thing to do, to be truthful, not to try to sugarcoat it, to allow this person to be more of a friend to you, but to be truthful to them. Even go so far into your day-to-day, -day, how you show up at work or how you show up at home. You should be known and have a reputation as a truthful person. That when somebody asks you a question, that when somebody comes to you, they know that they will get truth and not maybe truth, maybe a lie. You and I do that as Christians because we understand that we are held accountable by somebody far greater than the person that's in front of us. It's not just the person in front of us, right? God's going to take, take into account every word and deed that we, that we do, everything. And so you and I as a Christian understand that, and that should prompt us to be more truthful and have a reputation of being a truthful person. Verse 26 and 27, back in our passage, what being kind and compassionate and forgiving does not mean is that you become a pushover for accepting anything. That's what it doesn't mean. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Another quote from Psalm 4:4: be angry and do not sin. It's not a sin to get angry, of course. It's not a sin to get angry, as most people might think. It's not a sin to get angry because we can look at the Old Testament, we can look all throughout the Bible, and God gets pretty angry. God got angry at Moses in the Old Testament when he came up with excuses of why he couldn't go out and do what God was telling him to do. He didn't have the right words. He wasn't eloquent enough. God got angry at Moses. God got angry at Aaron when Moses was up on the mountain, and he came back down, and Aaron had allowed this golden calf worship to happen. It says, God got angry. It says, and the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. Psalm 7:11. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. We can go to the New Testament as well. Jesus got, get, got angry. Mark 3, we just read this in our DBR not too long ago. Right? And, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. They were silent. Why? Because they're trying to catch Jesus. And it says, and he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart. Our passage, if we look at it, because we've already said the word anger in verse 31, there's obviously two forms of anger that we're dealing with here. You have a, a righteous anger, which is, is being spoken of now, which is examples that we get from God. 
And then you have an unrighteous anger, like we see in verse 31. Unrighteous anger. Here's how I tried to categorize it. A righteous anger is when there's interruption of things that God wants. Righteous anger is, it, it happens when there's an interruption of things that God wants. When God says a marriage should be male and female, and then the rest of the world is trying to say it can be male and male, it can be female and female, all of those things. There's righteous anger that should come from that because that is a disrespect to what God has ordained for marriage. God has, has, has put in his word and commanded for marriage. When there's a male and a female, and we're trying to say there's 600 different genders and all of those type of things, that should prompt righteous anger because it is completely opposite and completely different from what God tells us a man and a woman is. Unrighteous anger, on the other hand, is an interruption from what you want. Righteous anger is an interruption from what God wants and what he's commanded. Unrighteous anger is an interruption from what you want, and it tends to linger because you didn't get your way. Somebody interfered for what you wanted to go on today. Somebody interfered for your goal for something. Right? You want a peaceful day, and, and all of a sudden your, your, your wife and the kids dump a whole bunch on your plate. You get angry. Well, that's because you wanted a peaceful day. That wasn't God's will. But then there was something that got in the way of what you and I had, and another sign of it is it lingers. It lingers. Angry. We can be angry, as it's saying. Be angry, but we need to understand that it doesn't linger. It doesn't linger. How Jesus got angry in, in Mark 3, it didn't linger. Right? He got angry at their hardened hearts, but then he got right back to work. He got right back to work. And you see that from God's example, too, in the Old Testament. Right? There, there's this anger, but then he gets right back to his plan. He gets right back to his will. When we get angry, that unrighteous anger, a good sign of that is it lingers on. It lingers on, and you just hold on to it, and you're boiling, boiling, boiling for days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months. It lingers. Righteous anger doesn't linger. Point number three we need to understand is we need to, do not, we need to not let our anger control us. Do not let your anger control you. As a perfect sign of unrighteous anger, sinful anger is when it controls everything that you do. It controls how you treat other people. It controls how you interact with other people as a good sign that you have some unrighteous anger going on. And I love how he puts that here in this, in this passage. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And of course, that's a metaphor there. He's not saying it, you know, it'd be advantageous to get, get mad earlier in the morning because you got a longer time to be, to be angry throughout the day. It's not, it's not a literal let the sun go down on your anger, right? But it, it, it's a good thing to keep in mind. It's a good thing to keep in mind as you're thinking about the, the anger that you may have within your own household. Uh, it's a good thing not to let the sun go down on your anger. It's a good thing to, to reconcile that, to repent and, 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 and ask for forgiveness or forgive whatever is going on and not let the sun go down on your anger. It's just a good reminder for us to have. But it's not to be taken literally, of course, with sunset and sunrise. We need to be willing to forgive. We need to be willing to reconcile any anger that we have going on. Because here's the thing, um, anger can produce a lot of ungodly manners, ungodly behaviors. Proverbs 30, excuse me, verse 33. Proverbs 30, verse 33, it says, for pressing milk produces curds, right? Stirring up milk, it produces curds. Pressing the nose produces blood. 
suppressing anger produces strife. Right, you continue to lean on it. You put pressure on, on anger. You never get off of it. It's eventually going to produce strife and bitterness in your heart. James 1.20, of course, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not produce the righteousness of God. The more and more you and I are angry and we're harboring in our anger and we're allowing it to linger around instead of us doing something about it so that it doesn't dictate how we show up every day. It doesn't dictate how we interact with other people. It doesn't dictate our witness to other people because we're, 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 we have this anger bottled up. The more and more we let it hang around, the more it produces that unrighteousness instead of the righteousness. So here's the thing. You might think it's beneficial to, you know, just, just give it some time. Give it some time. Let yourself be angry for a little bit um, and just, just, just let everybody else leave you alone because you need some time to anger. You might think that that's a beneficial thing to do. Here's why it's, why it's not. Because all that time that you're getting being angry is just a one-on-one time with Satan. That's all it is. It's a one-on-one time where Satan gets some real estate in your mind, and he comes alongside of you, and he says, yeah, you're angry? You should be. You should be mad. How dare them do that to you? You know, I bet if, if Jesus was here, I know he says, don't be angry, right? Don't, don't, don't let that happen. But if he dealt with this situation, he'd be angry too. You should be angry. Don't listen to everybody else, what they're trying to tell you. They're trying to tell you to, to read God's word and to pray about it and all that stuff. Don't listen to all that because they don't get it. This is unique. This situation is, 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 is unheard of. How dare they, they treat you like that? That's what Satan does, right? And what do we do? Yeah, you, you are right. Yeah, I should, I should be mad. They should feel my wrath a little bit longer. All of that happens within our minds. We know that, right? We feel that. That's called that justification when we try to tell ourselves we have a reason to be angry. And then we let it linger. All it does is give Satan real estate in our minds. The more and more you hold on to your anger. You and I need to make sure that we can be angry, but we're angry for God's sake. We're angry, angry because of God's reputation. And when we do that, it'll lead us to prayer about it. Because when things don't go right in this world, it's not that we should just be boiling and not do anything about it. We should pray. We should pray that, that Christ would come back. We should pray that, that these people that are, that are sinning, that are blind and have no idea what they're doing, that they would get saved. Because that would change everything if they got saved. You and I need to pray for people when it comes to Righteous anger, that's the right response. Taking it up with God and getting back to his word. Be angry, but do not sin. Give no opportunity to the devil to have real estate in our mind and help justify the anger that lingers, that's unrighteous. Back in our passage, verse 28 Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. See, in this day, just like now, I imagine, this, that was the thing to do, right? You didn't have something that you needed, you, you'd go out and steal it. But he's saying, hey, you're, you're in Christ now, you're a believer. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, let him labor. And not just do any work, right? Do honest work with your own hands. Why? So you fatten your own pockets, right? So you can build a bigger house? No. 
so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I mean, think about that. And think about your own blessings that you have from God. God didn't give you the job that you have. God didn't give you the, the, the money that you have. God didn't give you the, the, the resources that you have just so you can sit back and say, I got all this for me. God gave you what you have so that you would use it for his glory, so that you would help use it to help build his church, use it towards the body of Christ in meeting needs. Number four, point number four, write it down this way. You and I need to allow your blessings to meet needs. Allow your blessings, the blessings that God has given you, to meet needs. That's a kind thing to do. And when we think about uh, being tenderhearted towards others, that, that's a tenderhearted thing to do, is to allow the blessings that you and I have that are not our own, just as quick as God gave it to us, he can take it away. But for us to allow our blessings to be benefited by others in the body of Christ, I love that passage in Acts 4 where they're describing how, how it's working with the church as, as, as the, the, the church is, is getting underway. Acts 4, 32, 35 says this, Now the full number of those who believed of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of... Repeat that. Let me run that back. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Right? Nobody's claiming this is mine, I'm selfish, I, I just want to keep it. But they had everything in common. They had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, not one needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought them and brought them to the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That's just a beautiful thing right there. They all came to realize that, hey, it's, it's not mine. I didn't earn this to where it's mine and nobody else's. Everything that they receive, every blessing that they receive, they looked at it and said, hey, this is all God's anyway. And so I want to make sure that other people that are in need, that they benefit from what God has blessed me with. Not because I earned it, not because I deserve it, because God has blessed me with it so that I may glorify him and bless others that are in need. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. One thing I love about working here at the church is I get to see a lot of this in action here at this church. Having a view of, of, of multiple ministries and being able to see people that have needs over here and somebody that, that, that's able to, to bless that need and answer that need over here is a beautiful thing. It's so encouraging to me. So encouraging me. If you have somebody that, that's having a, a, a water leak or a plumbing issue, I, I know a plumber over here and I've seen a plumber over here go over here and help this person that they didn't even know, but they just said, hey, there's a, there's a need in the body of Christ. I'm going to go help them. I've seen people that have broke down cars and, and, and don't even have a car. And then I've seen somebody else that says, hey, I, I, got, I got a third car that I'm not using right now. Here's the keys. Use my car. That's a wonderful thing to see happen. I see people that, you know, they, they, they're, they're in between homes or something's happening with their house and they need a place to stay. And somebody says, I have an open bedroom. Come stay in my bedroom. It's a beautiful thing that happens in the body of Christ. 
It's because you have that mindset of being kind and, and compassionate to one another's needs and saying, hey, God has blessed me with this. It's not mine just for keeping. It's not mine just to have, you know, extra three or four bedrooms. I want to see how I can use this for God's glory, how I can meet a need of other people. It's a great thing when it happens. We need more of it. For all of us, as we read a passage like this, you should think about how can you, what do you have? What has God blessed you with that you can potentially meet a need for someone? Meet a need for someone. And maybe that need doesn't come up right now, but the fact that you're sharing with people, hey, if you know somebody that, that has this need, based on the skill set and the, the abilities that God has given me or based on the resources that God has given me, I, I have something to provide a need. There's always needs in the church. And it's a great thing when the body of Christ can provide for one another. Proverbs eleven twenty five: whoever brings blessings, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. Right? That proverb is telling us that when you, when you bless other people, right, God's going to bless you for that. Right, there will be a blessing. I don't know what that blessing will look like, but God will bless you, even in your spirit and your soul to be encouraged that you were able to meet a need. God, God is working all through that. You rarely hear about somebody that was just so, so generous with their time, so generous with their money, so generous with their, their resources that they went broke. It just doesn't happen. Right? Because God blesses those who bless others. It takes kindness and compassion as we talked about the, 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 the end of this, it takes all of that to be willing to give somebody something without respecting, expecting something in return. There's the other part of it. We're not expecting anything. This is just out of the generosity of our own heart. We want to bless people. Last section, verse 29 through 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace, right? It may give rejoicing, is another word you can use there, to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day. Right? Grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit is, 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 is a person, right? He, he, is, he is sealing us. He can be grieved. He can be offended, right? He can be insulted by the way that you live your life. He has sealed you with the promise of that you are God's responsibility. You are God, a member of God's family. He has sealed you with that. And the fact that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, but yet you go out and continue to do things that offends God, that offends the Holy Spirit, you can definitely grieve the Holy Spirit and insult the Holy Spirit when we do things that are contrary to what God is calling us to do, what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. But he tells us to, to, to build up, right? No corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But we should be building people up. We should be edifying people. And I imagine in this time as you, you bring together Jews and Gentiles that have this long history of hatred, you bring them them together, I imagine they probably didn't have a lot of kind things to say about one another. And so the reason Paul can say this and probably has to say this is to remind them that, look, it's not about, you know, being against each other. It's not about criticizing one another. It's not about talking about your background versus my background or, or, or who's closer to God between the two of us. It's about building one another up. That's what we should do. Because guess what? The rest of the world is going to, they're going to tear you down. You can guarantee you that. They're going to work on tearing you down. 
us together as believers, we need to build one another up with our words. You and I have an opportunity to encourage one another with our words. Right, that passage in James 3 tells us about the danger of the tongue. It's like with the tongue, we can, we can, it, can, it can burn down a whole forest. Right? The tongue has that power. All right, we can tame animals. We can do all that stuff, but we cannot tame the tongue because the tongue is powerful. You and I need to work on encouraging others, encouraging others around you. God has placed people around you in your life, and for those that are believers, you need to encourage them because we're all in a battle, and we need that encouragement. Let's write that down for our final point. Number five, encourage others around you. Encourage others around you because, yes, we are all in a battle. And oftentimes, if you've done this, you're, if you've encourage someone, whether it be by phone call or by text or, or just, you know, saying it to them in person when they're not expecting it, oftentimes it, it can feel like it's the right time, the exact time that they needed to hear that. Why? Because God's working all day, every day, right? He's working throughout all of these. Oftentimes when you get a prompt to text someone or call someone, I was like, man, I want to tell that person that they're encouraging me, or I want to tell that person that, um, you know, they are doing a great job. I want to commend that person for, for forgiving that person when I know that was a hard thing to do. I want to encourage them. That wasn't just you coming up with a clever idea. That's God giving you a prompting to do something, and oftentimes it comes at the time that that person needs to hear it, and it becomes so encouraging to that person because the timing seems to be perfect because God's behind all of this. It wasn't just by coincidence that you happened to encourage someone and they were like, oh, I didn't need encouragement today. I got enough today, okay? Nobody ever says that, right? It oftentimes seems to come right at the right time because God's working in all of this. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, we know this verse, and let us consider how to stir up one another. To what? To love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near. This world is getting more and more cold. It's getting harder and harder to be, to be a Christian. And we need encouragement from one another. Oftentimes we can be quick to criticize. And get, like I said, the world is going to do plenty of that. You don't have to worry about that. that that's, that's taken care of. We need more encouragement. And that starts with you and I doing that more and more. One of the ways I get encouraged by, by many of you is I, oftentimes I'll, I'll get a, a, a random text of saying, hey, I'm praying for you, praying for you. For, for whatever reason, it might have been something I put on a prayer request, but, you know, just even getting that, it's, I can't tell you how encouraging it is, how much it lifts my spirits to receive the, 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 the fact that somebody else has gone before the throne of God and prayed for me or has, has encouraged me. And I know you all have experienced that as well. When somebody gives you encouragement, it's just a, a, a wonderful thing, a great feeling to have because God always seems to know the right time. And as we look at applying, how do we apply encouraging one another? It's, it, it's doing that. It's taking the time to do that, to slow down and say, is there somebody that could use my encouragement? Is there somebody within my small group that I can reach out to and just encourage them? And just say, hey, I'm praying for you. You could, you could just start there. I'm praying for you. I don't know what specifically is going on in your life, but I'm praying for you. And see what God does with that. See what God does with that. Praying, encouraging, texting, calling. Um, you know, taking a look at your, your, your prayer requests. That's why I'm always big on pushing prayer requests within your small groups because that oftentimes tells us what go, what's going on in each individual's life in our group. 
And that allows other people to be praying for the things that you're going through as opposed to just praying some generic prayer because they don't know what you're going through. Right? Getting into the lives of the brothers that are in your small group, getting to know them and encouraging them. Who can you refresh this week, right? Who can you encourage? Who can you spur on to continue to do good, God-glorifying things? Kindness, tenderhearted, forgiving like Christ, right? There's a lot of things that we can write out when it comes to living a life that is pleasing to Christ. There's a lot of things that we can write out. There's a lot of things that we can look at in, in God's word and say, yep, we need to be doing this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And we should be doing all of those. We should be aiming to do all of those. But as we look at what many of those, those, those attributes are wrapped up in, it's, it's that, being kind, being tenderhearted, and forgiving one another. If we can lead with that, in any interaction that we have, we can think about the person that's in front of us and say, hey, I want to show the love of Christ to this person just as God has shown me through Christ. It's a great way to start. That's a great way to start. Because one thing it's going to do, it's going to separate you from the rest of the world because most people aren't thinking that way. Again, as I said, when you think about forgiveness, that, that, that's at the heart of Christianity. Most people aren't talking about forgiveness. If we can do that, then that sets us apart from the rest of the world. That puts us on a straight and narrow path towards glorifying Christ in all that we do. And the other thing that it does is it magnifies Christ in the life of the person that we are interacting with. And it gives them opportunity to feel and see and experience the love of Christ, the same love of Christ that you and I have all been able to experience if you are in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for this reminder of our walk, of what it should look like, what our lifestyle should be like, and all the things that we should have top of mind at the forefront of any interaction that we have. Lord, knowing that every interaction that we have can be something that, that draws people closer to Christ, whether if they are a believer, it can be encouraging and edifying to them, or if they're an unbeliever, it can allow people to experience and understand the love of Christ. The fact that Christ saves those that are walking away from him, if they put their faith and trust in him, that those that are blind right now, he will save those just like he did for us. So, Lord, I pray that in all the interactions that we have, whether it be within our own home, whether it be at our jobs or in our neighborhoods or even within our small groups right now, even within church, Lord, that we would seek to do those things that are, are wrapped in kindness, wrapped in tenderheartedness, wrapped in forgiving one another. And know that if we can do that, Lord, we can be on the right journey to do all things that are pleasing to you. Lord, help us to work hard at that. I know things like forgiveness is, is tough. We all have situations where we feel justified in, 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 in holding a grudge. But, Lord, help us be reminded that you didn't hold a grudge on, for us, against us, that you sent your son to the cross while we were enemies of yours. And so we have no right, no matter what it is, no matter how much we try to justify it, to ever not forgive, to not be kind, to not be compassionate to others. Help us to do that, Lord, um, as we go out today, tomorrow, and the rest of this week. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.